episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 40 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guarantee. So go check them out at linode.com slash freelancershow. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 217 of iFreak Show. Today on our panel, we have Guy Rambo. Hello. Erica Sadoon. Hello. So we don't, we don't have a guest today, but we did have some news that the, you know, some firmware from the HomePod leaked, and that told us some information about what Apple might be planning in the future, at least what they've been developing. And Guy was a part of the news and delivering the news of what happened. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about that and reverse engineering and, or as Eric calls it, spelunking to uh, looking at firmware and finding details. But we thought we'd start with, you know, tell us exactly like what happened, Guy. How did, how did this stuff leak? So what happened basically is Apple accidentally or not released uh, an OTA, an over-the-air update for the HomePod, which is a device that's not out yet. It, it will be released uh, this December, I think. So yeah, they put that update in a public server and people downloaded it and we started to take a look around and see what what the HomePod was all about. But then really soon we noticed that there were things in there about unreleased devices like the new iPhone that's probably going to come out next month. So yeah, that's basically what happened. They released uh, a firmware that shouldn't have been released for the public. So what do we find out about uh, Apple's plans from this release? Well, there's quite quite a list of things. So we found out that the, there's going to be an iPhone with a technology they call Pearl ID, which is some sort of really advanced face recognition that will probably be replacing Touch ID. We found out the code name for the new iPhone, which is D22. We found out uh, a glyph of this new iPhone, which has a cutout at the top for like the cameras and sensors. We found out about uh, a smart can thing, attention detection, expression detection, the death of the physical or fake home button, uh, and 4K HDR Apple TV, and lots of changes to the camera, like 1080p at 240 FPS. So that's a quick rundown of everything. So that's a that's a lot of stuff. How do you go about determining all this from you know, a piece of firmware? You have to connect the dots to bring back a Steve Jobs reference. You start with a simple thing. Like I started with face recognition because there were all of these rumors about the new iPhone having a, an advanced face recognition. And of course, the current iPhone has face recognition. We have like 
for pictures and for photo library. But I found face recognition references in the biometric kit code, which is used for biometric authentication, or only Touch ID currently. And so that told me that there was some sort of face recognition that could be used for authentication. And I noticed the term Perl ID, and then I started searching for Perl, and then I found that Pro ID was apparently the name of the face recognition for authentication feature. And then you, you start with a small thing like that, and you start pulling, and it, it's like those magic tricks where <laughs> the, the things just keep coming out. <laughs> so uh, based on this Pro ID thing, I found the D22 name, and from that I found the glyph for this new iPhone. So do you think that this new identification system is going to act as an alternative to Touch ID or is it going to supplement Touch ID? That's a great question. We we can't be sure based on the, the software alone because from the software's perspective, there's definitely Touch ID in there, but we don't know if like the hardware will have it. Because, of course, the same firmware will run on every device and some of them will not have the ProD feature. So we can't be sure it's possible that we'll have both. But if they are introducing this, I think, like in the future, this is probably going to eventually replace Touch ID. And in terms of the applications for this, this is going to tie into the payment system, won't it? Yeah, again, from, from the software, there's definitely support for Apple Pay with face recognition. Um, they could like not have the, the bank's permission to do that right away. So they might have implemented it in software, but not have it available at first. But there's definitely the, the intention to use it for payments as well. Now, I know that during WWDC this year, one of the big things that Apple was evangelizing was this notion that you could take advanced authentication and give it to third-party developers as well. So does, does this tie into that as well? Probably. Like, the, they have... I think Touch ID has always been kind of abstracted. You use like uh, a specific API that's for biometric authentication. And there's definitely stuff in the firmware that suggests that other apps will be able to use this face recognition feature. So I think it's going to be used throughout the system for basically everything you can do with the Touch ID today, you'll be able to do with the face recognition. Now, one of the things that concerns me about this, just generally, is that it's, I think, fairly rare to find people who share fingerprints, but it's not at all rare to find twins. How do you think this will handle that kind of biometric interpretation? Yeah, that's tricky because we have identical twins. They exist and 
uh, it's hard for software. If it's hard for people to work out the difference sometimes between between twins, I imagine for software it, it must be really difficult. But it, it's a really advanced system. It's not just a picture. I think many people think it's like just a regular recognition, but it uses like a pattern of infrared lights on your face to detect the 3D geometry, basically. And it can detect micro microscopic movements of parts of your face. So I guess they can use some of that stuff to use, like, to differentiate between twins, probably. But what if somebody's on a weight loss diet? What if, you know, they fall down and they smash their nose? Can they no longer use their phone for payments? Yeah, the smashing your nose would probably render the, the face recognition useless. I, I think you'd have to use your passcode and then register like a new face, which you can name like, like smashed nose face. And or, and there's the, the question about like, how about if you have your hair wet or you have sunglasses on, you have a hat, like those are also situations where this technology might fail. So were you able to then break down the frameworks, the component frameworks, and start looking at how those were built and what supporting API calls were involved? Yeah, it's tricky to do that deep of an investigation investigation because it's all assembly and I'm not, not like uh, an assembly genius, uh, especially since it's like ARM64 assembly and I'm more used to x86-64 assembly. But from what I can see, it, it uses like several layers of, of the software. So it's not like just one thing. There's the hardware layer that like the lowest level layer that communicates with the hardware. And there's also the media frameworks layer that also communicates with this lower level layer that communicates with the hardware and it provides some functionality. And then there's like the authentication framework itself that registers the facial like features and stores them in the secure enclave and does like the actual authentication. So there are definitely many layers to this feature. It's not just a single thing. It, it's a collaboration between multiple frameworks within the system. Let me step back just a little bit. When Apple posts a firmware upgrade, it's in the form of some sort of DMG, isn't it? Some sort of disk image? It depends on the type of update. The OTA updates are not DMGs. They are just zip files, but the structure is similar. So when you open them up, are you looking basically at a file directory hierarchy? Not really. Like Yeah, you are, but you have to do some work to actually extract the the actual root of the, the phone, basically. Your phone runs iOS, which is which comes from macOS. 
-hmm. and it has the familiar Unixy structure. You have an applications folder, you have the library folder, the system folder, and to actually get at that structure, you have to run some tools on on the especially when it's an OTA update because they come in a packed format which is compressed and you have you definitely have have to do some work before you can get at that directory structure. So once you do that work, once you get the over the air update and extract it, does it look like a normal Unix file system? Yeah, when when you actually get at the the root directory, you have all of the the folders, you know, like applications, bin, developer library, system, and so you have system library frameworks, all all of the regular folders, they are all in there. But there's another catch, the if you look, if you get this structure and you look at like li system library frameworks and you look at like uikit.framework if you have looked at frameworks they have like their resources and then there's the actual framework code file the binary file which is named uh, the same as the framework so uikit.framework has a, an uikit file which is a macro binary that's not in that structure, you only have the .framework folder, which is a package with all of the resources. But the bi the binary is stored in the DLD shared cache, which is they include like all of the system frameworks inside this huge blob, which is like a cache of all of the frameworks. So it's faster to load them at runtime, so they don't have to load each one of them individually. And to actually separate them, you have to run yet another tool, which will get this cache file and extract the individual, like the executable files, the library files. So yeah, it, it's a bit tricky to, to get like the, all of the stuff you have to get to, to do the investigation. But after you, you nail like the, the tools and the, the parameters you have to pass to them you can just write a simple shell script i think i have one here which is like five lines of shell script that runs through the, the firmware update file and does all of that stuff so it sounds like what you're saying is when you extract it you get a skeleton of the frameworks you get a skeleton of the private frameworks but then with um the dynamically loaded cache, you then have to individually extract the actual framework running code, like one for UIKit or one for, you know, AV Foundation or things like that, right? Yeah, exactly. You have the only the framework skeletons and then you have to run this tool to extract the actual frameworks. And the tool mm -hmm. is very simple and it's uh, provided by Apple themselves. So it's it's a simple tool. It's available at opensource.apple.com, I think. So yeah, it's a simple tool, and it it extracts the executable code. But before you even reach the executable code, surely the structure of the folders is going to tell you 
are there new frameworks? Are there new private frameworks? And did you see this when you were going through the AirPod frame, uh, firmware? Did you see new things that weren't familiar, that weren't the standard core graphics or um, core text or UI kit and so forth? Were there things that stood out to you as new frameworks for both users and for the system? Yeah, sure. You you can do like uh, that's one of the first things I'll do when I, I'm trying to figure out what's new. I'll just like get the previous firmware, list all of the frameworks, and then list all of the frameworks from the new firmware and compare. Just do a diff between the two of them just to see if there's something new there. And and yeah, th this HomePod firmware it has some new stuff in there. Uh, I don't remember. Uh, there's well, there's one I do remember, which is the 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 framework that handles the biometric authentication. It uses separate bundles, so separate pieces of code for each biometric authentication method. And there's like the regular Touch ID method, which I think it's called Mesa. I don't know why but that's the the name and then uh, so they have like a file name mechanism mesa dot bundle i think and then there's this other file named hide all caps underscore mechanism pearl so this grabbed my attention as well like why, why there's a new file in here with the word hide in it so you start off by saying what's different between the frameworks and the private frameworks and that gives you some ideas of some new technology then you extract the individual framework executables what's the next step how do you start looking into the framework executables to see what's new there if you see some new framework that's really interesting, you just like open it up in a disassembler. Uh, I use Hopper for, for macOS. And then you just like start looking around. Uh, usually I, I've been doing this for quite a bit of time. So I already know most of the frameworks and what they, they are used for. So just by looking, just by skimming it on, on Hopper, I can see if there's something interesting. But if you're looking for a specific thing, you'll usually just extract all of the strings. So all of the method names and symbol names, class names, uh, strings used for error messages, you'll just like extract all of the strings to a single huge text file and then search for stuff you're interested in. So let's say I'm looking for Let's say I'm looking for a 4K HDR Apple TV. I can just search for 4K HDR uh, variations of that. And then when I find some reference to 4K HDR or whatever I'm looking for, then I can look at where that string is, like which framework has that string, which app has that string, and then and then take that framework or whatever that binary is and 
take it into Hopper and start looking more closely at it. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. What about some of the older style exploration tools that people have used in the past? And I'm thinking of things like O-Tool and NM and some of the uh, class dump applications. Are those all things of the past or are they still ways that you can explore this kind of firmware? Yeah, sure. I still use them. Like for, for the strings thing, I have a, a tool I wrote myself, which will run both O-Tool to list the linked frameworks. And it will also run strings, which is another command that just extracts the strings. And it will also run class dump. So it will run all, all of those three for every binary inside a directory structure. So it will recursively do it for everything and just dump it to standard output. So that, that's where I usually start. I'll run that tool and I'll put it to a text file, which ends up being like 500 megabytes because it's a lot of text. And and then I start searching in that file. So yeah, those those tools are are still in use. And could you explain what each of those three tools that you mentioned are? Class dump, O tool, uh, NM, and strings. So yeah, O tool is I think it it means object tool. So you can use it to like dump various sorts of information from echo binaries so you can like list which frameworks that binary is linked to which methods it imports from other frameworks you can i think you can even do like basic disassembly you can look at macro headers which like instruct how the runtime should load the binaries so that's all tool strings is it just dumps all of the strings so like when you use a string in your code that gets saved to a specific location inside your binary and the strings tool will extract all of them and class dump is very useful for you to get like basically a generated header file for private stuff that private frameworks that you don't have documentation or like header files for it will basically go through the binary and 
construct the class information from object C stuff, like the class, the interfaces for the classes, the instance variables they have, the properties, the methods. So yeah, it, it does that for, for objective C binaries. It can like extract information about C or C, but it does it very well for, for object C classes. And there's NM too, right? Which lists the symbol table. Yeah, I'm not that familiar with NM, but I, I believe Classdom uses NM behind the scenes and it just like filters the the output of NM. Is that correct? I think so. I'm pretty sure it does. Yeah. Now, we're moving from Objective-C slowly into Swift. Are these tools going to still work in the next year, the next two years? Yeah, I think the most complicated one is class dump because it's so like it depends so much on how object C works. But the other ones are still working quite well. Uh, you have the issue that like Swift names are mangled in the binary. So you don't have like the, the clean method name or property name you have like I, I want to interrupt here because mangling is a very specific term for Swift and it's a way that Swift organizes its names and it describes the type the uh, the reason for the symbol it's a lot of meta information so when you hear of a mangled Swift name it doesn't mean that the compiler is destroying it. It means that it's adding extra information to that name, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, I was thinking, like, uh, probably someone will rewrite class dump or improve it to work with, with Swift. And it will probably even be better because you have all of the type information there, which you don't have with Object C. So when you get a generated header from from class dump, it will just be like, everything will be ID. So basically you have to guess the types, but with the Swift name stuff that it includes like all of the, the class and structs and all of the type information in there, you can get much better results from, from the, the class dump that's like, Specific, specific tailored for, for Swift, but I think, um, I, I, I don't think how it would work like for you to actually call into Swift code. You don't have the, like, the module map for, uh, I don't think how that would work, but maybe someone is al already working on that. Now, when you're doing your exploration, you're not just limited to frameworks. There are clues elsewhere in the file system, aren't there? Yeah, there are like, I think most famously there, there are the assets. So image files, uh, video files, audio files, all, all of the assets. And they can tell a story <laughs> as you probably noticed with the D22 glyph and What's interesting is that like with the HomePod firmware, they removed all of the PNGs and JPEGs from the firmware because they are not needed. But 
this D22 glyph is in a very specific file format that Apple uses in very few places. And they probably forgot to remove that specific type of file because it's so uncommon. And there's something about a USB file too, isn't there? USB file? It's my understanding that many new forthcoming Apple devices have been listed in a USB file where it's just part of the system library. Where oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a that's technically just a property list. There are many files in in, in firmware that are just like configuration property lists, which are basically XML. Some of them are binary property lists, but you you can read those as well. And I think th this device definition thing is also a property list, so you can open it up and see if there there are new devices listed. So yeah, the, the, the property lists are definitely a source of, of information. Like, yeah, and yesterday I found uh, a reference to True Tone display on iPhone, which is in a strings file, which is also a binary property list. And were there any new devices listed? Yes, we we found multiple people found this wasn't just me. Several references to iPhone ten dot something, so ten dot one, ten dot two, and those are like the device identifiers. So every iPhone model has a device identifier, which is usually two numbers separated by a comma. So it. The iPhone 7, I think it's iPhone 9,1. And we have several iPhone 10, something in the firmware. And it's common, isn't it, for the number of the iPhone device not to match the number of the product, right? Yeah, it's very common because the these codes, are, they are just like for internal things. They are not marketing names. And I, I'm sure Apple will never like include marketing names for products in firmware code because they have all of the code names they can use. So, so yeah, that that's why we are referring to the new iPhone with the face recognition feature as D22 because that's the internal code name for for the device. And and then there's like the actual model identifiers, which are like the iPhone something comma something, and these new iPhones will be iPhone ten comma something. It's also fairly common to find many many of a particular model, because, for example, with I know iPads. There are so many different styles. Some of them have cell built into them. Some of them have different memories or configurations. How many of this new device that we've been hearing about did you find? I have to check the, the actual tweet about it. 
Yeah, there are like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, at least eight new device identifiers. So we can expect several variations of the same device. Some people mentioned like differences between countries because some countries have different like cell phone frequencies and stuff. But I haven't seen like they use different model identifiers for those on the iPhone. So I think we'll be seeing several new new iPhones this year. Did you find anything interesting with new applications? Like uh, any new app? Mm -hmm. Especially any new apps that users might never see. I haven't looked at that actually. <laughs> might be a cool investigation. But like the, the HomePod firmware itself uh, only has, I think, three apps. It has an app called Air Podcasts, another one called Air Music, which are like for music and podcasts, of course. And there's the Diagnostics app. So those are the, the only ones that are in there. I did notice lots of changes to the camera app for this new device, which is coming. Like it, it has some accommodations for like different, different images for, for its buttons. And also the, the top bar with the options where you choose HDR, flash and stuff. There's an option to have that, that bar at the bottom which is probably because of the cutout at the top. A lot of people, I think, might be surprised by how many system applications there are on a typical iDevice or any device in that family. Because while you see applications like Mail or Safari or Photos, these are the apps that are actually shown to the user. But there's often two or three times as many apps that aren't shown to the user. And I know for a fact there are ones that run diagnostics. There's ones that do account authentication. There are ones, you know, Find My iPhone has a secondary application that's not necessarily presented to the user. There's an actual iAd opt-out application that is part of iTunes, as well as a lot of the things that support accessibility. And you can find these applications in the firmware, but the user, they're, they're transparent to the user. They, they yeah. only appear, you know, as support. Yeah, I counted 91 applications in the latest iOS 11 beta, beta 6. Mm -hmm. So there are 91 system apps and I don't know how many of them show up at for the user, but I, I guess it's less than half of that. I mean, there are ones called like, trust me. There's an actual application running on most people's phones called trust me. Yes, there is. There's, there's D&D Buddy. Mm -hmm. There's data activation, core auth UI, checkerboard. So yeah, there are many apps that y you might interact with them, like, but they only show like 
an alert for something or they are just internal. There, there's an app called Demo App, which is probably related to store demos, it is, I guess. It is the store demo. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there are several apps that you'll never mm-hmm. see. So do any of these apps that you were looking at hint at new features that will be made available to users? None of the hidden ones, but there are some some pieces of information in, in some of the user-facing ones, like the camera, as I said, and the podcast app in, in for the HomePod. It's basically the same podcast app as on the iPhone, but it has like new stuff in there. And since it's probably a version that's already tuned to run on the new device, it has some some provisions to like configure the home indicator, which will probably replace the home button and also to like manage the status bar, which will will probably be a lot different in this new device. Do you think the betas that we're now seeing for iOS, which a lot of things can be done without the home button, do you think that's sort of a map of what we're going to be seeing in the future on devices that don't have home buttons? Yeah, probably because the home button will definitely be able to be hidden so you you have to rely on other methods of navigation which ones exactly we don't really know we'll know when the keynote comes but like yeah you you can rely on the home button anymore especially if you have like to make a gesture to make it appear so anything that is one step now, which is just press the home button, will become at least two. Mm-hmm. I did notice on the iOS beta that you can pinch. And a lot of pinching will take you into the new control center. And that does a lot of the same things that you previously would do with the home button. That's interesting. It's really annoying (laughs) because a lot of times I'm just trying to read an article in Safari and I end up swiping in the wrong place and then it swipes me into control center and I really didn't want to be there. I just wanted to be looking at some article or a book or something. Yeah, one thing I noticed which is probably related is that the edges seem to be way less sensitive than they used to be. If you have like a button right at the top hand right corner, like you you notice like it's really hard to tap. Like the you have to, to tap more vigorously to, to get it to activate. I don't think I, I don't know if you noticed that. I haven't really noticed it at the top. It's the bottom that just drives me crazy. Yeah, so so that might be an indication of like the new phone having less bezel. So you you must have a better rejection at the edges. So you've talked about some of the tools that you've used to find things. You've talked about some of the changes that 
are coming that we can see through hints in the AirPod firmware. If somebody were interested in doing this kind of detective work on their own, how could they get started? I think the first times you do this, you should not be looking for new stuff necessarily because that requires a better knowledge of how the entire system works and how the different pieces work together. So how I got started is I wanted to know how certain things worked. So, and I started on Mac, on the Mac, because it's easier. You don't have to do all of the firmware extraction magic thing. So you should like just think about something that, that you like in the system that you'd like to know how it works behind the scenes and then start digging. So let's say you want to know how the App Store app works. Just get the firmware, extract it. There are tutorials out there for it. I think I, I, I'm probably going to write a, a small little short tutorial about the tools I use. But yeah, so extract it and get the App Store bundle which is in there, in the applications folder. Take a copy of Hopper. You can get a demo version, which is fully functional. The only limitation is it, it won't save the files and it, it will only let you run it for 30 minutes at a time. But other than that, it's fully functional. So get Hopper and drag the, the binary into Hopper and start digging around, looking at method names. What happens in application that finish launching, which view controller is shown, what it does. And since it's mostly ob Objective-C, you can get a pretty good picture of what's going on, even though you, you don't understand assembly, you don't have to understand assembly. Uh, Hopper even has a pseudocode thing that it does, so it can take the assembly code and generate a pseudocode that looks like kind of like object C. So, so yeah, ju just start by like trying to figure out how something works. And then after you've done that a while, you can start digging for new stuff and maybe discovering new features that no one else has figured out yet. Is this a problem for Apple? Um, the, the leaking of the HomePod firmware might be not a huge problem, though, because I think the outcome is mostly positive for them because they get lots of publicity out of it. Lots of people are talking about the both the HomePod and all of the other stuff, the iPhone, the Apple TV, the Apple Watch. So I think, of course, they wouldn't want to do it on purpose, not like this, but I think in general, if you happen to find something and you, you release it, you, you tell the world about it, it doesn't really hurt them that much. At one point, Steve Jobs called this a cat and mouse game. Has that attitude changed at Apple? I'm not sure. I, I think they are trying to prevent hardware leaks more than software leaks because I think 
hardware leaks hurt them more, but I'm not sure. And, and it, it's definitely uh, a mouse and, and cat thing because you can only go so far uh, that you can't like really prevent it. They used to encrypt iOS updates and firmware files. They don't anymore. And that's probably because some of the issues they had with updates were caused by the encryption. And they decided that it was better to just forget the encryption. So, yeah, if you try and, and make it so hard for people to get at this stuff, you eventually hurt your customers and I don't think they want to do that. Over the last three years, has Apple managed to surprise the public at any of its keynotes? Yeah, I think so. Not like maybe they, they should have kept things more secret, but I think even when we do know so much about stuff, they they have like the explanation and they have the videos and they have the demos which we haven't seen so we can be surprised even though we already know what's coming because we don't know the why we only know the what and they are usually pretty good at explaining the why so you're doing some work over this like who else in the community is doing this type of work and writing about it that people can follow if they're interested in it there are lots of people. I, I think most famously, Steve Charles Smith is doing a lot of stuff about it. Like he, he is like the, I think Erica has even invented a, a verb for it. I call it Strachan Smithing. Yes. So he, he is like the, the inventor of, of the, <laughs> this technique, which Erica is calling that. And there are other people as well. I don't know the, the names, but I can get you like uh, a list of Twitter handles for people to follow, which are posting about this, including mine. Yeah, for sure. Throw it in the show notes. We'll get it. We'll get it on the, the show notes. So we're running a little bit sure. low on time. Anything else that we should cover before we get to the picks? For you, the listeners of the iFreak show, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. So let's get to the picks. Erica, what do you have for us? You know, what I have for us, my pick is new cars. <laughs> Because I am dealing with a 2001 car that just died on me. So my pick for the week is cars that aren't 17 years old. That's good. How did it die? Its transmission went. And apparently 
this is an incredibly well-known problem with odysseys and i didn't know it until after mine died because if i had known i would have sold it and gotten a different car long ago there we go i'm, I'm driving a 2003 right now and you know, it's going along fine. I don't drive it that much. I bike a lot, but it's coming to that. So I'll have to buy a car eventually. So my pick is new cars that work. Cars that don't break. Yeah. We're all for that. Guy, what do you have for us? Well, I'm going to follow our trend of suggesting Netflix stuff. And I'm going to suggest The Founder on Netflix, which is, it's not a documentary. It's like... It, it tells the story of how McDonald's was founded and how it became McDonald's. So, yeah, it's a very, very good movie, and I recommend it. Excellent. So I'm going to have one pick today. It's not a very mind-blowing pick, but it's a tool I've used enough where they detected it and sent me a message saying I should tweet about it or, or do something. If you're ever working with Unix time and want to translate it, like, and you're trying to create dummy data, like, I want this to be last week, like, what's the Unix time for that? Uh, there's a tool I've used enough to warrant um, talking about it. UnixTimestamp.com. And there's a number of these out there, but this is the one I seem to find when I Google for it. Um, but yeah, if you need to convert Unix time, all those ints to actual dates, this is valuable. Time is just one of the weirdest, most difficult development subjects. It's so much harder than it just appears and any tool like that is is just a blessing yep like what's next wednesday noon at in unix time i don't know but i can figure it out so excellent all right so that's all the time we have Guy, erica thanks so much for filling us in on the home pod the leaks and how we can find this information out for everyone else we'll see you all next week Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.